Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. So an old school favorite game among youth groups of ages past is called Bigger or Better. Do you know this game? Bigger or Better? You get together at a house for a, a party and, and you go to a neighborhood and knock a, a house and knock on a door and you take some kind of small thing like a, I don't know, an ink pen, a paper clip, and you knock on the door and you say, do you have anything bigger or better than this? And then if they decide to play, they give you something bigger or better than that. And then you go to another house with that new something that's bigger or better and say to them, do you have something bigger or, or better? And then they, if they play along, will give you something bigger or better. And there have been oh, urban legends about what has resulted in a game like this. I knew of one youth group where the top prize was they walked away with a refrigerator. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. But Kyle McDonald of Montreal took this to a completely different level. He's sitting around one day, and he sees on this table a red paper clip. And he says, I wonder what I can get for a red paper clip. So instead of going house to house, he goes on Craigslist and says, who'd like to trade me something for this red paper clip? And somebody took the bait. A woman said, I will. I've got a fish-shaped pen I'd like to trade. So he walked away with a fish-shaped pen. He said, I wonder how far this could go. So he posted the fish-shaped pen on Craigslist to see who would like to trade him for something bigger or better. And this is what he got. He got a doorknob in the shape of a face. Well, ironically, somebody was looking for some kind of new doorknob for a thing they had, a unique piece of furniture, and said, I'll take that. What do you have in its place? And so he traded up for an old-school Coleman stove, which is great because after he posted the stove again, he found out that there was somebody looking for that old-school stove, so, so he traded a generator. I mean, an old, rusted uh, a piece of junk, but it still worked, so he got this generator. And then he thought, well, surely nobody's going to want this piece of junk, but somebody did. He said, I'll take that. He goes, I don't know if it's worth it, but I have this like old sign and a container that I've put together, and I call it a party to go. And so he took an old Budweiser sign and a keg with an IOU to fill the keg. Yeah. So he posted that. Must have been, you know, I don't know. Methodist or something, I don't know. They, but they, they posted, the, posted the, the, the thing there, the party to go, and guess what he got in return? He got a snowmobile. Yeah, I mean, it worked. He got a snowmobile. The guy was trying to get rid of it, and he said, well, let's see what I can get for a snowmobile. He traded up for a cargo van from Centos. 
they were trying to get rid of. It was a piece of junk, but it was working. And somebody was looking for a cargo van because they were part of a band and they needed to, to, hide, to, to haul their equipment. So this band director or this, this band leader said, I'll tell you what, I'll trade you. If you give me that truck, I'll give you a free recording session, a re- free recording contract. And he said, well, I'm not much of a singer, but let me post that and see what I can get in return, see what I can trade up for this recording contract. And a woman in another state, this, this took him all over the United States and Canada. This woman in another state said, I'll tell you what, I have a duplex. I'll give you one side of it rent-free for a year if you give me that recording contract. So he did. Well, as he did, the woman living on the other side of the duplex said, I want free rent for a year. Well, what do you have to give for me? How about like an afternoon with my boss? And she was like, well, or he was like, well, who's, who's your boss? And she said, um, uh, Alice Cooper. <laughs> Rock star Alice Cooper. Before he knew it, one afternoon, he's on stage with Alice Cooper with a big red. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then it gets better because Alice said, I'll do another afternoon if you want to post it. And so what's he going to trade another afternoon for? Well, a fan had a KISS snow globe, and he traded it, and he said, well, what am I going to do with this? Because nobody was going to want to KISS snow globe, except online, the person following him in this endeavor, well, one of them was the man literally with the world's largest snow globe collection who didn't have a KISS snow globe. So he said, if you give me the KISS snow globe, I'll give you a, a real speaking part in an upcoming movie with a credit and everything. The guy said, wow, as he's thinking about it and going through two or three more iterations of this trade up, he gets a phone call from someone in Saskatchewan. They say, we've been trying to do something special in our town to bring some energy to it. What if you give us that recording, that movie part, and we'll hold an audition, and people from all over the country will come and boost our economy, and while we're at it, to give you something in return, we have an extra house we'd like to give you. And the man traded a paper clip and ended up with a house where he lives this day. Isn't that crazy? Sit with that for just a moment. What would it be like? What would it be like if you could take something that seems so small and insignificant, something that you would find in the junk drawer of your house, and end up with a house? What if you could take something that seems so insignificant and trade it in and trade it up for something that is better than you ever expected? That's Christmas. These past few weeks, I've been saying that the birth of the Christ of God is an invitation to the gift exchange of the ages because you and I are called to go to the junk drawer of our lives and bring whatever we can bring, whatever small, broken, insignificant pieces, all of the the barely hanging on pieces of our lives. And if we find the faith to bring it and lay it beside the manger filled with hay, then in the birth of this child, we walk away with hope and peace and love and joy. Two weeks ago, I said to you that hope, what do you trade in in order to get divine hope? What you trade in is a lament. You bring your lament. You let him hear it. 
You groan if you have no words to speak, but you bring your complaint, your angst, your anger, your doubt. You bring it to him and let him hear you. And in the midst, somehow, in a way that only God can, you leave with hope. Last week I talked about peace and the illusion that sometimes we believe that peace only comes at the end of chaos, when chaos has settled down. And last week we said that peace is not the absence of trouble, but it is an ever-present help in time of trouble. And if you bring the chaos with no, no reservation, here is the chaos of my life, you will find in the midst of the chaos a peace that passes all understanding. And today, we're talking about love. So what do you bring to trade up for divine love? Well, to be very clear at the front, here's my first disclaimer. You can't give anything for love. The love that God has for you, God had for you before you were even aware that God had love for you. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. There's no song and dance that you can perform for God to make God feel any different about you than God already does. God is crazy about you, and there's not a thing you can do about it. God is crazy about you, and there's not a thing you can do about it. But I meet people all the time, and that sometimes that person I meet is in the mirror looking right back at me who go through seasons in which even though you know you've got the love of God, it feels as if you are bereft of what the Scripture calls the fullness of the love of God. Do you know what it's like to go through seasons when you cognitively, cerebrally, you can assent to the possibility that God loves you, but to feel vacant of what Scripture calls the fullness of God? And I want to suggest to you that part of the experience of knowing the fullness of the love of God means that we have to trade in lesser versions of love because we pursue love in a variety of ways and most of the love pursuits that we have in this life are far less than the kind of love that is already available to us in Jesus Christ you and I are made for made for knowing divine love We are made to know divine love, but we settle for far less. We do. I mean, you're made by love, and you're made for love. And and that love, the divine love I'm talking about, born at Christmas and born in and around you, you're meant to know it. It's part of how the universe is designed. Every subatomic particle that is racing through the universe is made by love. We settle for far less versions of that love, and it leaves us in a perpetual state of disappointment. Sometimes it leaves us in an ongoing kind of low-grade fever of discontentment. Can I tell you just a few ways that some of us look for love? I know you're thinking that song right now. I am too. I know. Uh, I didn't write that, but... We are. We're looking for love in all the wrong places. Now, you know that there are different kinds of us. Some of us look for love in particular ways. Others of us look for love in other kinds of ways. Do you know that some of us look for love? Well, all of us, when we are young, when we are like the girl's age, who just lit the candle this morning so so 
awesomely. Uh, when we're their age, we pick up cues about what love is. And we pick up cues about what it takes to be loved and to love. And some of us, you know what we pick up? We learn the pattern that love has something to do with the image that you project into the world. Yeah. If I could just project a particular kind of image to a particular kind of person or people, well then that projection of that persona that I'm working on will surely elicit something in them that makes them love me. And so here's what I'll do. I'll work hard to make sure you know that I can help you with your problems. And and I can recognize some needs that you have, and I can meet those needs. And then in meeting those needs for you, well, then surely here's what's going to happen. You're going to need me. And I'm going to need you to need me, right? And in this codependence with one another, we're just going to, well, we'll just call that love. Or, or others of us will say, you know, in this image-driven pursuit of love, we'll say, if I can just look as if I've got it all together, like I am successful and accomplished, like I am a winner, if I can look like I deserve to be in the room where it happens, and I'm invited into the room where it happens, among those who make decisions, then when I am there, then I am going to interpret that as surely love, right? Because of what I can do. And, and others of us, well, we go through life learning that if I can just be special enough, unique enough, different enough, yeah, then you'll notice me. So I'll be on the edge of every kind of thought and emotion and, and experiment and activity, and then you're going to notice me, and in your noticing me of being special and different and unique as an individual, you're, you're going to love me, right? Right? See, some of us pursue love in the image that we create in the world. And my question to those of us like that is this. Aren't you tired? Isn't that exhausting? And there are others of us who are wired maybe not that way, but a different way. Others of us, well, we orient ourselves to pursue, pursue love based on our basic, hidden, under-the-current kind of fear in life. Some of us, well, we... We fear that maybe there's not enough love to go around. And so here's what I'm going to do. If there's not enough love to go around, I'm going to protect myself and just kind of keep an arm's distance from each and every other person. So it may look like I'm standoffish to you, but what I'm really trying to do is preserve enough of me so that I can love me. And that's love, right? And some of us are so afraid about the world in general, that there's this basic generalized fear that the world is not a safe place. And so here's what we do. We create a love system in which we circle the wagons, and then those who are closest to us, those who are in our tribe, we will be very loyal. We will, we will love them, and they will love us. But if you're outside this tribe, well, we're not only a little suspicious, but we're kind of, kind of leery, skeptical of you. But this right here inside this safe circle is love, right? Yeah. And, and others in the fear kind of driven pursuit of love may never admit that they're afraid of anything. But in hidden ways, do you know someone who is sometimes afraid to acknowledge their own pain, to acknowledge the places where it hurts places where scars have not yet been healed or even addressed. So they learn to pursue love by being happy all the time. 
How you doing? Oh, great, great. How you doing? Hey, did you hear the one about the, yeah, but you just lost your car. Yeah, but did you hear the one about the, and as long as we can keep the temperature of the room up and free of anxiety and enjoyable, well, then surely the thing that I'm feeling in the room is love, right? And to those of us who organize our love pursuit around some basic hidden fears, my question to you is, aren't you tired? Are you thirsty and hungry for something more? And then there are others of us who, who don't pursue love based on our image or based on basic fears, but based on a hidden kind of just underneath the surface need to control the world. And some of us learned that it's not safe to be vulnerable because vulnerable people are weak and weak people aren't respected and I can't love somebody I can't respect so I'm going to grow a thick skin and I'm going to be tough-minded and tough-hearted and I'm going to control the environment and when I'm in the room, everyone will know what we're doing, what the plan is. They can trust me. I will be a leader they can follow because that's love, right? And others do the Seemingly the opposite thing. Based in a basic need to control the environment, they try to avoid conflict altogether. So at the kitchen table, if there's an argument, well, that's not love because they don't believe the possibility that being angry is an expression of love, that you care for something. So their attempt is to, shh, everything's fine. Well, what he's saying is this, and you're really both saying the same thing, aren't you? And they're both saying, no, we're not. Yeah, no, you really are. Yeah, buddy, we're just fine. And they frost the cake to make it look as if it's delicious when in many ways all it is is retreating because retreating into a, a room where there's no anxiety and tension, well, that's, that's love, right? And then finally, there are those of us who because of our basic need to control the world around us, our love pursuit, we learned along the way that I can't be loved if I am not perfect. And so I will do the right thing and I'll make the right choices. And I will improve any situation that I'm in because there is no room for mistakes in this world. People who make mistakes are undeserving. And so I, I will be right and I will be in control. And don't you see, that's my way of loving you, right? You and I were made to know divine love, but we settle for far less. And all of those expressions of love, sometimes very helpful, sometimes very important, are only micro-expressions of the love of God. But here's the good news. You can trade up. Yes. You can trade up. You can take the stuff that's in the junk drawer of your house and trade it up for something better or bigger than you would ever imagine. And you can take what, if you're honest with yourself, if I'm honest with myself, you can take the kind of love expressions that are broken, that are imperfect, the, the love expressions that somehow we have picked up in the junk drawer of our hearts, you can take these and trade them up. And the secret is found in that passage we read just a moment ago. 
In the passage we read just a moment ago, Paul is saying, this is what I hope for you, that you will be able to be grounded, rooted in Christ, and that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the, the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. Yeah. In fact, this is what he says here. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend. In other words, that you may be able to see what you have not been able to see thus far, that you will see, see clearly with all the saints, with all those who have pursued broken paths to love before you. I pray that you'll be able to see clearly now with all of them who walked where you walked, what is the breadth, the length, and height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Beloved, to be filled with the fullness of God, we have to understand that the character of God's love is very different than those nine types that I just described, or 27, or 107. The love that comes through the birth of Christ, well, it's wider, it's longer, it's higher, it's deeper than we could ever fathom. I wonder if you might think with me simply in the couple of moments that remain about the dimensions of divine love. Because God loves in a way that is a wide love. God's love is a wide love, and it's far wider than we could ever imagine. Sometimes it's far wider than we're even comfortable admitting when a child comes to you and says, how much do you love me? And Do you love me this much? No, more. Do you love me this much? No, 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 way more. Do you love me this much? More. And then you know what happens. They stretch their arms as wide as they can. Do you love me this much? And you still say, way more. Yeah. In the Christ of God, hanging upon the cross, God says to the child of humanity, I love you this much. There is a wideness in God's love. It reminds me of the great hymn, there's a wideness in God's mercy like the wideness of the sea. So wide that it involves all of those who we may not think deserve to be included in the divine embrace of God's love wide enough for the psalmist one day to say, thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. What kind of God would set a table for you right across from your rival, your enemy, the one who embodies everything that makes you sick? It's the kind of God who has a wide love. But it's a wide love that doesn't just include others. It includes the unlovely parts of yourself that you think are excluded from God's love. We think that God will love us in our lovely parts, but not our unlovely parts, the places where we fail and fall and repeat and rinse that failure and fall again and again. But I'm here to tell you that God loves you with a wide love, not despite your sin, but because of it. Because it's in your weakness that he is made strong. 
For God proved God's love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Yeah. The good news is you can trade up for this kind of love because it's wider than you think. But it's not just a wide love. God's love is a long love. That means God's love existed for you before you knew that God's love existed. God loved you before your first breath, and God will love you through your last breath. And God has the capacity to stay with you with a love that will not fade. Reminds me of the, the worship song. Your love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on me. You and I both know that there are lesser versions of love that run out all the time. That's why I've always struggled with that, that chapter 13 from 1 Corinthians when we hear the words, love never ends, love endures all things, love never ends. And I want to say, yeah, until it does. So we know what the writer of 1 Corinthians means, that it's divine love that never ends because we know that business partnerships fall apart all the time. We know that friendships will dissolve all the time. We know that marriages, when going through seasons of irreconcilable differences, will fade and, like a vapor, dissolve. But God's love is a long love. It's one that endures even the very thing that you think will end it. In the Psalms, Psalm 136, there's this amazing passage where the, the worship leader is reciting the story of the Israelites and line by line, like a call and response, the worship leader will say, you know, and I'm paraphrasing here, but like, and he was with us in Egypt and the, the people would reply, his, his yeah, his, his everlasting love endures forever. His steadfast love endures forever. And then he brought us out by plagues on, on Pharaoh and then they would respond, his yeah, steadfast love endures forever. And we were in the wilderness eating bread and manna from heaven, and his steadfast love endures forever. He was with us with a cloud by day and a fire by night. His everlasting love endures forever. And these worshipers repeat this line again and again. His steadfast love endures forever. Steadfast love endures forever. Again and again, almost obnoxiously repetitive. Again and again and again until you realize what's happening in the context of worship, the people were rehearsing the truth that is easy to forget when you're in the midst of the thing. That he is not, he's not subject to the thing. But his love is a long love that preceded the thing and will be with you after the thing. And the good news is you can trade up because his love is longer than you think. You know what else it is? His love is higher. His love is a high love. In fact, it's the highest kind of love because sacrificial love, there is no more excellent kind of love than self-emptying love, what God expressed to us on the cross. Jesus even said it this way, there is no better kind of love. He said no greater kind of love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. The love that is high 
is a love that supersedes every lesser expression of love. When every other kind of love runs out. It's also high because the higher you go, the greater perspective you have. (laughs) You know, God has a perspective on your life that you don't have. God sees the end from the beginning. He is the Alpha and the Omega and has a a view, a vantage point over the full journey that you have yet to make. And because it's a high love, he sees the valleys that you will come across. He sees the mountains that you're sure to have to climb. He sees the crooked places that are going to be difficult and the rough places that will be even more difficult. This is why it's beautiful. And the prophet Isaiah in the 40th chapter says, Comfort, be comforted, my people. And then these words, A voice cries out, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley that you're going to face, that you don't know you're going to face, but you're going to face it, will be exalted. Every mountain that you don't know you have to climb and you don't think you have the resources, the ability to climb, every mountain will be brought low. The uneven ground that will make you lose your footing Well, it'll become level. And the rough places, they'll become a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all the people shall see it together, because right now you cannot see what I see, because my love is the highest love. The Lord's love for you is so high that it's able to to change the topography of your journey. God sees where you're going to have trouble. And God's love is the only kind of love that can transform that journey by faith. So the good news is you could trade up for that kind of love, you know. Take what you brought out of the junk drawer of your heart, give it to God, and you can have a high love, but not just a high love. You can have a deep love. A love that is so deep. God's love is a deep love, and it's so deep that it refuses to take you at surface value. Divine love is the kind of love that refuses to believe your persona. It refuses to only take you based on the kind of personality you've developed or the kind of life that you've created. His love is a kind of love that goes so deep it sees the version of you that God had in mind when God first thought you were a good idea. Yeah, he sees the treasure in clay jars. In 1 Samuel, we are reminded of the way that God sees. In 1 Samuel, we hear these words, For the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Or as the psalmist says in Psalm 42, Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. There is a deep in you that is right now being loved by the deep in God. And if we could just be aware of that, if we could wake up to the awareness that you have been kept all of your many days by a love that is wide and long and high and deep, my friends, that is freedom. That is salvation. That is Being alive, that is experiencing the fullness of God. Because when you think about it, it's as if 
in this baby, Jesus, God reached down and created a wide space, wide enough for a manger. Just long enough for a baby's feet to not hang off the edge. High enough for those coos and cries to be heard by neighboring shepherds, cattle lowing. Deep enough to undergird that baby with every step of his journey, even the difficult steps that walked the hill to Calvary. And the thing that we see in the crib, the thing we see in the manger is what the, the writer of the hymn that's found at the first chapter of Colossians says, in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And I'm telling you, the reason he came is to prove to you and to me and to all of humankind that God has been infusing into our world a kind of love that has the capacity to transform the world from the dawn of time. And the thing that was born at Bethlehem that we light candles about and sing carols about desires to be born in you and me right now. The very fullness of God can dwell in us if we become aware that this love is longer than the thing we think is going to run out is wider than the grace we have in our own hearts, higher than our own tolerance, deeper than our own impatience with ourselves. If we could somehow stumble in to that love, everything changes. You, you can trade up and close the junk drawer forever. Yeah, because that kind of love will not let you go.